Welcome to Lore Club, an audio narrative podcast where a bunch of friends from all over the internet come together to bring lore from our favorite games, fandoms, and more to life. Today, we begin a new lore book from the Elder Scrolls series, A Dance in Fire. In-universe, this book is written by Wagen Jarth, a prolific author of both light fiction and historical treaties. If you'd like to read along, we've linked to the unofficial Elder Scrolls pages in the show notes where you can find a great transcription directly from the in-game text. And for those of you who found the 36 Lessons of Vivek a bit cerebral, don't worry. This one reads very much like a standard novel, and I really think you can enjoy the full experience without knowing anything about the Elder Scrolls. Now, I think that's enough setup. Let's get right to Chapter 1 of A Dance in Fire by Wagen Jarth. Imperial City, Cyrodiil, 7th of Frostfall, 3rd Era, 397. It seemed as if the palace had always housed the Atreus Building Commission, the company of clerks and estate agents who authored and notarized nearly every construction of any note in the Empire. It had stood for 250 years since the reign of the Emperor Magnus, a plain-fronted and austere hall on a minor but respectable plaza in the Imperial City. Energetic and ambitious middle-class lads and ladies worked there, as well as complacent middle-aged ones like Decimus Scotty. No one could imagine a world without the Commission, least of all Scotty. To be accurate, he could not imagine a world without himself in the Commission. Lord Atreus is perfectly aware of your contributions, said the managing clerk, closing the shutter that demarcated Scotty's office behind him. But you know that things have been difficult? Yes said Scotty stiffly. Lord Vanek's men have been giving us a lot of competition lately, and we must be more efficient if we are to survive. Unfortunately, that means releasing some of our historically best but presently underachieving senior clerks. I understand. Can't be helped. I'm glad that you understand, responded the managing clerk, smiling thinly and withdrawing. Please have your room cleared immediately. Scotty began the task of organizing all of his work to pass on to his successor. It would probably be young Imbralius who would take most of it on, which was as it should be, he considered philosophically. The lad knew how to do business. Scotty wondered idly what the fellow would do with the contracts for the new statue of St. Alessia, for which the Temple of the One had applied. Probably invent a clerical error, blame it on his old predecessor Decimus Scotty, and require an additional cost to rectify. I have correspondence for Decumus Scotty of the Atreus Building Commission. Scotty looked up. A fat-faced courier had entered his office and was thrusting forth a sealed scroll. He handed the boy a gold piece and opened it up. By the poor penmanship, atrocious spelling and grammar, and overall unprofessional tone, it was manifestly evident who the writer was. Leodis Eurus, a fellow clerk some years before, who had left the commission after being accused of unethical business practices. Dear Scotty, I imagine you always wondered what happened to me, and the last place you would have expected to find me is out here in the woods, but that's exactly where I am, haha. If you're smart and want to make a lot of extra gold for Lord Atreus and yourself, haha, you'll come down to Valenwood too. If you haven't or have been following the politics here lately, you may or may not know that there's been a war between the Bosmere and their neighbours elsewhere over the past two years. Things have only just calmed down, and there's a lot that needs to be rebuilt. Now I've got more business than I can handle. 
but I need someone with some clout. Someone representing a respected agency to get the quill in the ink. That someone is you, my fiend. Come and meet me at the Mother Pascos Tavern in Villanesti Valenwood. I'll be here two weeks and you won't be sorry. Eurus. P.S. Bring a wagon load of timber if you can. What do you have there, Scotty? Asked a voice. Scotty started. It was Embralius, his damnably handsome face peeking through the shutters, smiling in that way that melted the hearts of the stingiest of patrons and the roughest of stonemasons. Scotty shoved the letter in his jacket pocket. Uh, personal correspondence. He sniffed. I'll be cleared up here in just a moment. I don't want to ever you, said Embralius, grabbing a few sheets of blank contracts from Scotty's desk. I've just gone through a stack, and the junior scribe's hands are all cramping up, so I thought you wouldn't miss a few. The lad vanished. Scotty retrieved the letter and read it again. He thought about his life, something he rarely did. It seemed a sea of gray with a black, insurmountable wall looming. There was only one narrow passage he could see in that wall. Quickly, before he had a moment to reconsider it, he grabbed a dozen of the blank contracts with the shimmering gold leaf Atreus Building Commission by appointment of His Imperial Majesty, and hid them in the satchel with his personal effects. The next day, he began his adventure with a giddy lack of hesitation. He arranged for a seat in a caravan bound for Valenwood, the single escorted conveyance to the southeast leaving the Imperial City that week. He had scarcely hours to pack, but he remembered to purchase a wagon load of timber. It'll be extra gold to pay for a horse to pull that, frowned the convoy head. So anticipated, smiled Scotty with his best embralious grin. Tin wagons in all set off that afternoon through the familiar Cyrodiilic countryside, past fields of wildflowers, gently rolling woodlands, friendly hamlets. The clop of the horse's hooves against the sound stone road reminded Scotty that the Atreus Building Commission constructed it. Five of the 18 necessary contracts for its completion were drafted by his own hand. Very smart of you to bring that wood along, said a gray-whiskered Breton man next to him on his wagon. You must be in commerce. Of a sort, said Scotty, in a way he hoped was mysterious, before introducing himself. Decimus Scotty. Griff Marlin, said the man. I'm a poet, actually. A translator of old Bosma literature. I was researching some newly discovered tracks of Nori at Playball two years ago when the war broke out now. Scotty thought the man might be speaking perfect gibberish, but he nodded his head. Naturally, I don't pretend that the Noriad is renowned as the Megalidon, or as ancient as the Dancir Gaul. But I think it has a remarkable significance to understanding the nature of the Merolithic Bosma mind. The origin of the wood elf aversion to cutting their own wood or eating any plant material at all, yet paradoxically, their willingness to import plants enough from other cultures, I feel could be linked to a pattern. Malin shuffled through some of his papers, searching for the appropriate text. To Scotty's vast relief, the carriage soon stopped to camp for the night. They were high on a bluff over a gray stream, and before them was the great valley of Valenwood. Only the cry of seabirds declared the presence of the ocean to the bay to the west. Here, the timber was so tall and wide, twisting around itself like an impossible knot begun aeons ago to be impenetrable. A few more modest trees, only 50 feet to the lowest branches, stood on the cliff at the edge of the camp. The sight was so alien to Scotty that he found himself so anxious about the proposition of entering the wilderness that he could not imagine sleeping. Fortunately, Malin had supposed he had found another academic with a passion for the riddles of ancient cultures. Long into the night, he recited Bosmer verse, in the original and in his own translation, sobbing and bellowing and whispering wherever appropriate. Gradually, Scotty began to feel drowsy, but a sudden crack of wood snapping made him sit straight up. What was that? 
Malin smiled. I like it too! Convocation in the malignity of the moonless speculum. A dance of fire. There are some enormous birds up in the trees moving around, whispered Scotty, pointing in the direction of the dark shapes above. I, I wouldn't worry about that, said Malin, irritated with his audience. Now, listen to how the poet characterizes Hermamore's invocation in the 18th stanza of the fourth book. The dark shapes in the trees were some of them perched like birds, others slithered like snakes, and still others stood up straight like men. As Malin recited his verse, Scotty watched the figures softly leap from branch to branch, half gliding across impossible distances for anything without wings. They gathered in groups and then reorganized until they had spread to every tree around the camp. Suddenly, they plummeted from the heights. Mara! cried Scotty. They're falling like rain! Probably seed pods. Malin shrugged, not turning around. Ooh, some of the trees have remarkable... The camp erupted into chaos. Fires burst out in the wagons. The horses wailed from mortal blows. Casks of wine, fresh water, and liquor gushed their contents to the ground. A nimble shadow dashed past Scotty and Malin, gathering sacks of grain and gold with impossible agility and grace. Scotty had only one glance at it, lit up by a nearby burst of flame. It was a sleek creature with pointed ears, wide yellow eyes, mottled pied fur, and a tail like a whip. Werewolf! He whimpered, shrinking back. Godly rot, groaned Malin. Ugh, much worse. Kojiti cousins of some such thing come to plunder. Are you sure? As quickly as they struck, the creatures retreated, diving off the bluff before the battle mage and knight, the caravan's escorts, had fully opened their eyes. Malin and Scotty ran to the precipice and saw a hundred feet below the tiny figures dash out of the water, shake themselves, and disappear into the wood. Werewolves aren't acrobats like that, said Malin. They were definitely Kothiroth. Bastard thieves. Thanks, Stindar, they didn't realize the value of my notebooks. It wasn't a complete loss. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. You just heard the first chapter of A Dance in Fire. We'll be continuing this story in the next episode, so get subscribed if you aren't already. And hey, while you're at it, tell a friend about us or say hi online. You can find us everywhere at lore underscore club. Our cast this time around included Alexander Alston as Decimus Scotty, Charlie Strom as Courier, Jonathan Dockle as Managing Clerk, myself as Embralius and Narrator, Luke Carr as Convoy Leader, Nicholas Gray as Griff Mallon, and Jason Causey as Leodis Uris. Our intro and outro music is by Yesif, and available to you for the low, low price of royalty-free. Our artwork is by Jonathan Dockel. This episode was edited and produced by me, Joseph R. Strom. You can find everyone's links, additional credits, and a transcript of today's production in the show notes at thefanet.com loreclub. That's T-H-E-F-A-N-E-T dot com slash loreclub. Club.